If in your relationships, you feel taken advantage of and overlooked, and then start feeling a little bit irritable and resentful, I have got help for you. Today's conversation is with Dr. Morgan Cutlip, and she's here to talk with us about how we can love others without losing ourselves. That's all coming your way right now on this episode of The Truth and Our Trauma. Christian Counseling on the go? Sign me up. Faithful Counseling is Christian counseling that is available to you wherever you are and on your schedule. And we've partnered with them to bring you 10% off of your first month. To sign up and get started, go to getfaithful.com forward slash valor. Losing myself in relationships is something that I have had to unlearn how to do. This is something that I have carried with me for a lot of my life. It's been with me in friendships and in dating and in parenting. And unlearning it can seem very confusing and very wrong. <laughs> Learning how to assert our own position within our relationships feels sometimes wrong, selfish. And yet it's what we need to do if we're going to love other people well. Today, we're talking with Dr. Morgan Cutlip, and she's going to help us to understand how we can love others without losing ourselves. Morgan, it is so great to have you with me. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Morgan, in your newest book, you're focusing on losing yourself. And specifically, it's losing yourself in motherhood, though this is something that I've experienced in all kinds of relationships, whether it's being a mom or friendships, romantic relationships, all kinds of things, we may have this tendency to kind of lose ourselves. And in your book, you talk about this, you use a word that I love, de-selfing. And I've never heard it described that way before, <laughs> but I think it makes total sense when you describe it. So would you start us off by, by helping us to understand what is this tendency of de-selfing and where does it come from? So de-selfing, I, gosh, I wish I could take credit for this term, but this comes from an author named Harriet Lerner who wrote a really good book called The Dance of Anger. And she describes something that's really a universal experience uh, for people, but especially this shows up a lot for women, which is that we have this tendency, and we can talk about where it comes from, but we have this tendency to really sacrifice ourselves for the preservation of our relationships. And so this can show up in a number of ways. It might mean we make our needs really small to make sure the other person feels really comfortable. It might mean that we don't really assert ourselves because we don't want to rock the boat. It might mean that we just regularly give, 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 but don't ask for much in return because we just want to keep the equilibrium. And so um, it has ends up having this really massive effect on how we experience our relationships, how fulfilling they are for us. And I think a lot of times in the development of resentment um, and frustrations in our most important relationships. I love that you pointed to the fact that this brings resentment for us, mm -hmm. that where we feel like I have to put some of myself away in order for this relationship to work, that that makes us angry. But that yes. there's, but I think that points to us then that this is dysfunctional, that there's something that's not quite right because our relationships, as you just said, should be fulfilling. It doesn't mean that there's not give and take, but there should be something that we feel like we're receiving. And I think a lot of times when we do this, that's what we feel like we're missing out on. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, this shows up, I talk about it specifically in motherhood, because I think it's a time for women specifically where we're so pulled into de-selfing because we have to, you know, you have to sort of give away, you have to sort of suppress yourself in order to give to these children, to keep them alive, to get up in the middle of the night and do the things. And over time, though, when we stay in that place and we don't sort of recalibrate, when we don't kind of find ourselves again in the process, this is when these frustrations and irritabilities and resentment occur. But this uh, this happens in all of our relationships. And women are so really good at being the peacekeepers in our relationships. We see it in our partnerships and how we are regularly caring for, for our partners and giving and giving and giving and not really feeling like sometimes um, it's reciprocated in the same ways or appreciated in the ways that we want. We do it in our work relationships sometimes where we maybe take a little bit more than we should. Um, we suppress our greatest needs. We maybe don't ask for raises. It shows up in all different areas of our lives and has a major impact on how we feel in these relationships. And I think the resentment that starts to show up for us, the irritability, the frustration, the feeling of inequity, um, those are signals. Those are signals that maybe it's time to take a look at how we are showing up in our relationships and what we're really asking from them versus what we're giving. You just used a word that I think is so insightful. It's recalibrate. It's mm -hmm. the, the fact that actually we have something that we can do about this. And I think that's some of where that resentment comes from is feeling like we can't, feeling like this is just the way it is and I'm stuck. And as you said, sometimes this might be seasonal that someone has more needs or in the case of our kids, that it's something that that's just part of it. It's difficult. And then other times this can come out, though, because we're not also properly orienting ourselves in the relationship. So can mm -hmm. you talk about that recalibration and what is the shift of mindset then to moving away from things as we have always done it and mm -hmm. trying something new? Oh, that's a big question. And I, I'm glad that you called it out, though, because I think that something that we all sort of need to recognize is that we have a lot of agency in the in our relationships. We have a lot of personal power and how we show up. Relationships are dynamic. And when we start to shift just as an individual, it naturally changes the relationship. I feel like I could say this a thousand times over and it wouldn't be enough times because, you know, in my community, it's mostly made up of women. And so I'm always trying to encourage them. You can make a change when you change how you present yourself. And so um, this this really does apply to all of our relationships. And when we recognize this, we are empowered to really step into making some dramatic shifts. And I think it's such an important piece. So, okay, so how do we make the shifts is what you're asking me. <laughs> So I, I feel like that's why I wrote a whole book, because I do think that there are lots of ways for us to do to make these shifts. And I think one way that becomes really important for a lot of us who do tend to, to de-self is to deal with some of the deeper messaging around what it means if we actually have needs, if we actually take up space, if we actually assert ourselves, I, I believe in graciously asserting ourselves, but you have to learn how to do that. And so a lot of times it's this messaging, it's these belief systems we hold, whether it's come from, you know, our caregivers or societal structures we exist in or society at large, we have these belief systems that really get in the way of us being able to change some of the ways we show up in our relationships. And I think that's always a really, really helpful start starting point. I will say, though, I have a very strong belief that sometimes we have to act differently before we feel differently. And so deal with the deep stuff, 
deal with the messages. I walk moms how to do how to do that in my book. I walk them through that. But also sometimes we have to decide on some behavioral changes we want to make in our relationships. And we might feel anxious and uncomfortable and nervous about messing up the balance and having someone be upset at us. But when we start to make some of these behavioral changes over time, our beliefs and our feelings will start to follow. This is one of those times where it really is fake it till you make it. Totally. Take like, it till you become it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So good. It's like, you're going to feel like you're just doing the wrong thing. It's going to feel wrong. Yeah. And it's I think uncomfortable. That, that goes against though, like the way that we have seen ourselves in relation to other people. And so mm-hmm. we have maybe even created this value of ourselves as being someone who is pouring out constantly. And yet that's not really what we're designed to do. But yeah. as you, as you said, some of this comes from needs and not being aware, then basically that some of this is a reaction to not having our needs met mm-hmm. and to to being able to really get honest and say, you know what, my needs went perhaps when I was younger, like you mentioned, weren't weren't really nurtured, weren't mm-hmm. really cared for. And so I learned that in order for me to get care, I need to ca- take care of other people. I need to make myself small, as you mentioned, or those types of things. I have to do that for someone else in order to get it back or oh, really, feel well, good about myself. You're so right. You're so right. I mean, people are sort of like plants. Um, you know how plants will grow to where the sun is shining because we they need that sun. They got to soak it up. People are similar in the same way where we will sort of bend and shift and mold in order to receive love, belonging and acceptance. And so um, when we're younger, you know, our caregivers, whether it's good in, a lot of times, not always, you know, I know that people have some serious histories that are really, really painful, but a lot of times our caregivers did have decent intentions, but even with decent, decent intentions, the way we experience things and interpret them can be vastly different. Um, and, and the way that our needs were responded to has a major impact on how we show up in our relationships. Because if we express a need and then they were, you know, our need was minimized or even criticized, uh, we learned that, okay, in order for me to be accepted by the person who matters most to me, one of my caregivers, I've got to make my needs almost go away. And that's us bending and shifting and changing in order to receive that love and acceptance and belonging. And a lot of times, you know, the way that these messages were sent um, sends a signal that we really need to be easy. We need to be easy, especially for women, easy, needless and small. And um, and so this takes some reworking and some time and some discomfort to come out of and do things differently. Okay, this one is for all my overthinkers out there. I used to be absolutely debilitated by intrusive thoughts. Everything from constant worry to just dread of the future, I couldn't make it stop. If you're there right now, I have developed a free downloadable guide to help you get your mind back. It's called Overthinking, Get Out of Your Head and On With Your Life. And you can download it for free right now at UncommonValor.co. What I thought was really helpful about the book is the fact that you actually call out what some of these needs are, that we have a grid that we can start to filter this through and go, oh, this is what I'm lacking. This is what I'm needing. Can you just give us a brief overview of that? It's called, uh, just for you as the listener, the relationship attachment model is what you refer to Mm. in the book as. 
Yeah. So um, in my book, I talk, so my book is written for moms. Um, so I know that's not everyone listening, but uh, this model applies to everybody. So hopefully I can explain it in a way that you start to like create a picture in your mind. But the idea behind my book is that moms are the master managers of everybody and everything else, but we don't turn the same skill sets toward ourselves. And so I teach moms how to manage uh, or care for their relationship with themselves, which I think is way beyond self-care as we know it. And so um, um, I think like the natural, <laughs> a lot of times with what advice people give, it's like, okay, cool. What does that mean? And so I, I want to make it clear that it's very clear what a relationship is. And that's um, what I lay out in the relationship attachment model. It was developed in the eighties actually by my dad, but uh, it's been researched um, and not by us. <laughs> it's been researched by other people in textbooks and things like that. And what it is, is it's a picture of a relationship. This is what we manage, whether it's um, your relationship with God, whether it's your relationship with your kids, your relationship with your partner, your relationship with yourself. We all have to be active participants in how we pour into and care for our relationships. So, okay, let me paint the picture. It is sort of like an equalizer on a stereo. So if you can imagine sort of the sliders that you move up and down, there are five of them. Um, no, trust, rely, commit, and touch. And these are five connections that exist in every single single relationship. And when you look at the model, you can quickly move the levels up and down. So let's say we're thinking about a relationship with our kids. Um, if your child has recently started kindergarten, for, for instance, or school, um, you might move these levels differently than if it were during summer. So you might feel like, oh, I'm a little out of the know with my child. I don't know what's going on all day when they're in the care of a stranger. I feel out of touch. So that might be a little bit low. Trust is your belief in someone, your opinion of them. Probably this is still high. Rely is how you meet each other's needs. You might feel like you're not doing that as much, given you're with them a little bit less. Commit is how you prioritize. There's other aspects of commitment and touch is how you connect through physical and words of intimacy as well. And so um, the way that we I'm kind of giving this long definition of this, but I'm really wanting people to understand how it works. But when we think about our relationship with ourselves, this is really what we need to pay attention to scan through these five areas, do a quick assessment. Where am I? Am I in touch with myself? Do I know who I am? Do I see myself in a positive light? Do I actually know what my needs are and how to assert them? Do I prioritize my life in a way I feel good about? Do I pay attention and listen to my body when it's speaking to me? Or do I really quiet down that voice and ignore my pains? When we cycle through this self-assessment time and time again, it helps us to become more in tune with ourselves, better able to access what our needs are and better able to feel good and show up wholly in our relationships. I love these descriptors too, because I think sometimes we may be better at some than others. And so we may press in really hard into one area and not even realize that realizing at all that we're neglecting anything else. And yet then we're walking around feeling totally depleted and don't have this <laughs> understanding of like, what is it that I actually even need? Yes. But then by having, and again, it's just sometimes like having a way to, to bend my mind around this to go, oh, oh, okay. So yeah, like I know what I need now, you know, where I am, Yeah, but like, I don't understand necessarily what it means to make sure that like a touch need, for example, is met. Yeah. You know, can you describe that even just some of these? Cause they seem like, well, that has to be completely like me in a relationship with somebody else versus some of these. Me versus in my, 
Yeah. Yes. So, um, so each chapter goes deep into these five areas and then it brings moms out and to have these practical actual tools. So you go deep because if you got these belief systems, you got to work on, we'll go there, but then we'll give you stuff you can do in the moment. And so there's a whole chapter on needs. And I think that, um, and so each of the five areas isn't necessarily a need that needs met, but I do talk about what our needs are in chapter six, <laughs> like which chapter, um, and help, help people really get in touch with what they are. So let me give you a practical way we can figure out what our needs are. Cause I think a lot of us, when we de-self, we don't really have a clue what we need anymore. When we're really far gone, we don't even know what will help us feel better. And so one of the fastest ways to figure out what you need is to think about what you complain about. Complaints are a window into our unmet needs. And so if we think about in our relationship with ourselves, I'm so tired, I don't get any sleep. Now, this one's just a cliche one. But if you're always complaining about being tired, maybe you have a need for a little bit more rest. If you're always complaining about feeling like nobody notices what you do, then maybe one of your unmet needs is more appreciation and words that show you're really important and valuable to your family. You know, when we think about our complaints, it really reveals a lot about what we actually are not getting met. So that's one particular way. Um, a touch need. So in touch, I talk about how we need to listen to our bodies and, um, women are really good at shoving down the voices that our, our body has. So, you know, especially I think about moms, I remember the first like three years of motherhood, I was like, Oh, my back hurts constantly. It's probably just from carrying the baby. Took me years to get in to see a chiropractor. turns out it was gut stuff, but we're really good at this. So one way is really tuning in and starting to listen to the way that your body talks to you and responding. If our child came to us and said they had a stomach ache, we wouldn't tell them we'd make them a doctor's appointment in two years. We would do it immediately. We would attend to their needs. We need to do the same for us. Oh, I love, I just love the way that you just put that together because it does seem absurd. That if your child came to you with a chronic crazy. need that you would just be like, oh, we'll get to it in two years. But, like, <laughs> but we do the same thing to ourselves all mm -hmm. the time. Mm -hmm. And then we're walking around either anxious or joyless or some combination of all of the things because we're just pushing and pushing and pushing. If we're not listening, we're not taking the time to even do that check-in. No. And that's what, you know, the first chapter talks about knowing or the first chapter of the, the RAM, it talks about knowing yourself really deeply. And I feel like that can seem really uh, obvious. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Know yourself, whatever. But that's exactly what you said. We do not check in with ourselves. We have such a crazy momentum, fast momentum in our pace of life that we become very out of touch with who we are and what we need. We numb it out. And especially as women, I think we're really good at when we're spread thin, we are like, well, I'm the first one to go. You know, it just is easier. I think for us to be like, well, I'll figure this out later. I'll get to it in 18 years or whatever. And so um, knowing ourselves, becoming back in tune with who we are is really important. I think, you know, we've all had that experience where someone will say to us, you know, how are you doing? And you're like, I'm good. And they're like, no, really? How are you doing? And I almost every single one of us will have to pause and think about it. And a lot of times we're like, I don't know. I don't know. I gotta give me a minute. And it, it's just because we are so good at falling out of touch with ourselves. And so I give um, reflection questions and tools for how do you become more back into alignment? How do you feel like you know yourself and who, um, again, it's for a mom. So who you thought you would be as a mom. Yeah. 
I think it's so great too to have these practical tools. Like guide me, step me through this check-in thing. Because the other part of this is that some of you listening, for example, have experienced really significant trauma in your life, that that disconnection is a way that you have learned how to navigate relationships so that you could stay safe. That being disconnected from your needs meant that you weren't going to be harmed anymore or not as badly or it didn't affect you or you wouldn't be disappointed or whatever your experience is. And so this checking in thing can sometimes feel frightening because it's like, Mm -hmm. well, if I start looking at my needs, what else is going to come up with it? Or like we've just learned to do without that doing that practice, as we said before, just feels foreign. Maybe it even feels selfish. And yet these are the things where we find so much healing because we are connecting to whom it is God has created us to be as a special Mm -hmm. and unique individual. And then being able to live from that in a way that's life-giving, not only to ourselves, but to the people around us. And that's really what we're after when we're giving unto others. Yeah, I think, you know, I've I've done a number of Christian podcasts and had to field the question about, is this selfish to pour back into you? And there's lots of ways of approaching this answer. So I'll like rapid fire. I mean, I think one of the most powerful is that um, a lot of times we de-self in our relationships in order to care for them and to show up in them um, in ways that are like amazing because these are the most important relationships in the world to us that they're so important to us. But when we de-self to, to a point where we end up getting um, resentful and angry, we show up as our worst selves in these relationships, ultimately causing ruptures and harm. And so, you know, in the service of your relationships, it's important that you are not so depleted that you are angry at everyone else. You know, and I've, so some people have asked, you know, we're, we're supposed to die to ourselves in, um, in Christianity. How do you explain, you know, doing the salt to self stuff? <laughs> it's like, if you look throughout the, the Bible, there are so many examples, um, for, for instance, of Jesus um, taking time alone and, and having to replenish and reset and rest and to reflect and to pray and to do, you know, do things that actually cared for him. When he was in his in earthly form, he had to do these things too. What do we think we're above Jesus? You know, it's so important. You know, when God created the heavens and the earth on day seven, he rested. You know, it's it's not above God. And so I, I think it's important for us to kind of check ourselves um, in some of these ways. And then just coming back to the first point I made, you know, God and, and it's all about our relationships. It's the highest commandment is about caring for our relationships. If we're going to show up in them nasty and bitter and hard of heart, then we are not fulfilling um, what we're supposed to be doing as Christians and good people. We can't pour back into our relationship with God or relationship with others um, when we're in that place. So it's incredibly important to um, give this some energy. Yeah, because there's no way you're going to will yourself out of that. There is no way you're just going to will yourself through like, I love being here. I really just love pouring of myself and have a nothing else to give. Like, it does no. not work that way. No. Morgan, I have just loved getting to sit and chat with you. Would you tell listeners about the book and how they can follow along with you? 
Yeah. So my book is called Love Your Kids Without Losing Yourself, Five Steps to Banish Guilt and Beat Burnout When You Already Have Too Much to Do. It is a book that I think I described it well, but it it, it uh, talks about how to care for yourself in deep and meaningful ways. Um, I know that your podcast has changed um, branding. I think it's amazing what you're going to be sharing with the world on trauma. I will say if there are other listeners here that came from the first podcast, this is a book that doesn't require you have a partner. Um, and that was so important to me. My husband travels every single week for work. If I needed him, to feel better in motherhood, um, I would not feel very good. <laughs> so it's important to say um, you can find me uh, on my website, drmorgancutlip.com. Um, you can learn about the book there, where to get it, where to get your pre-order gifts, as well as on Instagram, drmorgancutlip. Thank awesome. you for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being with me for this episode today. I hope you'll come back again. And in the meantime, you can follow me over on social media and find out about our resources and services over at uncommonvalor.co.